Good morning, Salem. It is great to be with you this morning, and thanks, Pastor Seth. Your words are kind and appreciated, and I am super excited to be able to share with you this morning and a little nervous at the same time. When Pastor Seth contacted me about this opportunity, one of my first thoughts was that Ephesians is so amazing. It is an amazing book, and honestly, even this particular section, how impactful it has been in my life, uh, it's just so cool. I think that most of us are aware that when we present something or prepare something, a presentation at work or a Bible study or whatever, we are the ones that learn a lot more in the process than even those that we present to. And honestly, this is part of the reason why I even said yes to doing this this morning is just knowing that this process of preparing things would be so good in my own heart, and it really has been in an amazing way. And as we look at Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 this morning, it is my prayer, like Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, where he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened to know the hope to which he has called you. It is my prayer that my eyes would be enlightened to his word, that our eyes would be enlightened to the amazing grace and goodness of God in all of this. And so, honestly, the things that I'm going to share with you this morning are things that I need to hear, and I think there are things that we can all grow in in amazing ways. And it really is a privilege for me to be up here and share with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Ephesians 3. Today we're going to be looking at the mystery revealed, the mystery delivered, and then the mystery's results. So the mystery revealed, we will actually pick up in verse 2, but verse 1 seems like a really appropriate place to start, and so we'll start with that. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul starts out this section by saying, for this reason, and just like Ephesians 1 it looks like he's about to start a prayer. In Ephesians 1, he says, for this reason, and then he goes into a written prayer, and for this reason refers back to all those amazing things that he lists out at the beginning of Ephesians 1. And then he goes into the prayer, and it looks like he's about to do the same thing here. He says, for this reason, he describes himself, and then something happens. Paul is interrupted here, he stops his prayer and moves on to a bit of a tangent. And this is uh, kind of indicated a little bit by the dash 
in some of your Bibles. And I can only imagine that this is a divine interruption. He actually continues his prayer in Ephesians 3.14, which we'll hear next week. But this entire section, verses 2 through 13, really is kind of a divine interruption. And in a way, I feel like God is saying, don't miss this. This is super important. And so I think as I look at this passage, what is so important that we need to stop and think about this more clearly? And this is where we pick up the mystery revealed. There are a couple of long sentences in Ephesians 2 or 3, 2 through 13. The first sentence is verses 2 through 7. We're going to focus on 2 through 6 right now. And Paul says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul uses the word mystery several times in this passage. And the idea of mystery in this context is not something that's unsolved or something that needs to be searched out in order to be found, but it it carries with it more the idea of, of something that has been hidden but is now made known. Something that was not known previously but is now made known. And it could only be revealed and made known by God. And what this mystery revealed is is laid out in verse 6 where he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this, again, is referring back to what he's just talked about in, in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. But Pastor Seth mentioned this last week when he said some, com- some commentators continue or consider that section to be one of the most important sections on the church in the entire New Testament It really is a huge deal, and I don't think we understand it as well, that Jews and Gentiles are now one body, are unified in Christ Jesus. They are heirs together, or we are heirs together, members together, shares together in the promises. And this was hinted at, actually, in the Old Testament. So when it talks about the nations will be blessed. Jewish people realize that somehow the blessing will be extended to, uh, to Gentiles as well. So they had a 
understanding that God's blessings would go to all the nations, not just the Jews. But what was hidden is that there's actually a third race created now, is that instead of being just Jews and Gentiles, there's now one body called Christians that are brought together. That dividing wall has been broken down. And uh, this is huge. This is like a huge categorical shift in the minds of the hearers. And it is not something to be missed. In a way, again, it's not something for us to be missed today is that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down and we should be unified as believers and we should understand and take that as a really big deal. There's actually a similar passage to this Ephesians passage in Colossians. Colossians 1, 23 through 28 has a lot of the similar language as this, but the emphasis in Colossians is more of a Christological emphasis, meaning Christ reigning as supreme, as the one uh, that has brought that relationship for Gentiles, whereas this particular section has more of an ecclesiastical emphasis, meaning the church. Jews and Gentiles together forming one body is a big deal. And so again, this is not something to be missed. The mystery revealed is that Jews and Gentiles now form one body in Christ, uh, the church. We need to not miss this. And then Paul starts into another part that is not to be missed. And this is the mystery delivered in verses 7 through 9. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Ephesians is one of those books that in campus ministry, uh, we teach a lot. It, we use it in small groups often, and I distinctly remember preparing to lead a Bible study on this passage one year. And I remember reading the words of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And I remember thinking as I read those words, do I think that sharing the gospel with others is a gift? Is it a privilege? Do I consider evangelism a gift or a privilege? And uh, here I am, I'm a professional missionary in a way, and I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with the idea, do I look at evangelism as more of a duty, an obligation, something that has been commanded, or do I view it as a gift and a privilege? And to be honest, I, I, still, I still wrestle 
with this. And my guess is that most of us probably wrestle with this same idea. Do we view evangelism, the sharing of the good news with others as a gift or a privilege? Or do we see it as maybe a duty, an obligation, or maybe even something that's just better left to others? I titled this message, The Minister's Privilege. And when I use the word minister, I really mean all of us in this. The NIV translates that verse 7 as a servant. Uh, And it really means all of us. It's those that carry out the commands uh, of somebody else. And Jesus is our king, and we are called to follow him and obey him. And, and one of the things he says is go and make disciples of all nations. And he says that uh, this is the way that the mystery is delivered to others. is through us. And it is an incredible privilege. But um, some of us don't always view it that way. Some of you might even be thinking, well, uh, I'm really not that qualified to pass on the message to others. Uh, If you knew how messed up and in process and maybe unqualified I am, uh, this wouldn't even be a question. Uh, To that, I want to point back a little bit to the passage here as well. Paul says in verse 8, he says, Though I am the very least of all the saints. And one of the things that I find interesting here is he doesn't say I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm not the least of the anointed ones of God to preach the message. He says I'm the least of all the saints. And that word here really is the same word as uh, in Ephesians 1 where he says he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. Basically, he's writing to all believers. And so when Paul says that he is the least of all the saints, it's kind of like, how can he say that? Paul has, you know, done so much, and yet I think Paul realizes that he is still sinful and that he is desperately in need of the grace of God in his life, and he's in desperate need of God's power to work in the lives of others. And... uh, I think that is true of us today, is that as ministers of the gospel, as those that are called to convey it to others, we need to realize that we are messed up, uh, that there are issues in all of our lives, and we are in desperate need of the grace of God. And it ultimately is God's power to change the lives of others. He he uses people... uh, that have the gift of evangelism, but also he uses us to display his power. Paul says in Corinthians that in his weakness, Christ is made powerful. And I think when God uses any of us, it is his work and it is amazing. And again, I believe the same things are true of us. We need God's grace, we need his power. And I'll also mention at this point, part of this um, gift or privilege of conveying and delivering the message uh, revolves around training. 
And it is super important to learn and develop how to share the gospel. And you can talk to the pastors or the staff here. There's some great tools out there. But honestly, our stories of how God has transformed our lives are a powerful tool in sharing the gospel with others. And we can use our stories of God's transforming grace in our lives to pass that on to others. Your story is powerful. Well, very much like you, probably I can find myself thinking, yeah, 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 I know this is all true. You know, uh, I need Jesus desperately in my life. I'm messed up. It really is his power. But honestly, I definitely still struggle with seeing, uh, presenting the message to others as a privilege or a gift. And this is where I love to think about Paul's words in verse 8, where he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I truly believe that Paul is captivated by the majesticness of who God is in his character and that boundless, unsearchable riches of who Christ is captivated his heart. Uh, many years ago, I read the book by Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. I don't know how many of you have read that, but I thought, ah, oh, you know, it's a classic. I should probably read this. And uh, there's a part of the book that I will never forget. Uh, and to be honest, uh, I didn't follow the whole plot line really well to begin with. It was kind of like going over my head and all those kind of things. And um, so I might be butchering a little bit of this point. And a little bit of a spoiler alert, this happens at the end of the book, so sorry if you read it. Uh, but uh, one of the things that will always stay with me is uh, two characters, two of the main characters in the book looked very similar uh, physically. They looked alike. And towards the end of the book, one of the characters was sentenced to death. It was going to go to the guillotine and was in prison. And the other character, who looked a lot like the one in prison, began to wander around and think on John 11, 25, and 26. And I didn't get the impression throughout the rest of the book, and maybe I just missed it, I didn't get the impression that this character was overly spiritual. But this character kept reciting, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This main character took those verses to heart and ultimately went to that prison. They managed to drug the other character and get that person out. And he took the place, uh, the death of this other character. And it was at least partly because he was willing to act on these words that he believed so firmly. And it's kind of like, do I believe that deeply about things? There's a famous illustration out there, and I really hope that you're familiar with it. 
Uh, If you can imagine a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and you see a tightrope walker, and you watch the tightrope walker walk from one end of the tightrope all the way across Niagara Falls to the other end, and then walks back. And then then the tightrope walker puts a wheelbarrow on the rope, and then turns to you and says, do you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow all the way across Niagara Falls on the tightrope and bring it all the way back. Uh, That's one type of belief. Another type of belief is if he says, now I want you to get into the wheelbarrow while I push it all the way across and bring it all the way back. And sometimes I think when we look at the majesty and majesticness of, of Jesus, do we, like what's our belief level? Do we believe it with a head knowledge or does it really impact what we do? And I truly believe It was transformative in Paul's life so that the unsearchable riches of Christ made it a privilege to be a messenger or a minister of that gospel. I love how Sam Storms puts it in his book, Pleasures Evermore, about just being amazed by the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, I must confess that I have ransacked the dictionary for words to describe what I have in mind. Here's what I mean by falling in love with Jesus. I, you, we were made to be enchanted, enamored, and engrossed with God, enthralled, enraptured, and entranced with God, enravished, excited, and enticed by God, astonished, amazed, and awed by God, astounded, absorbed, agog with God, beguiled and bedazzled, startled and staggered, smitten and stunned, stupefied and spellbound, charmed and consumed, thrilled and thunderstruck, obsessed and preoccupied, intrigued and impassioned, overwhelmed and overwrought, gripped and wrapped, enthused and electrified, tantalized, mesmerized, and monopolized, fascinated, captivated, and exhilarated by God, intoxicated, and infatuated, infatuated with God. I can't help but think if these words are more and more true of our lives and the understanding of who Christ is, that that will really make so much more of a difference. And again, I'm saying this to myself, that if I believe this, I will look at being a minister or sharing the gospel with others is more and more of a privilege. And again, this is, this is part of the reason why I love Ephesians. Like, I look at Ephesians 1, where it says that we are blessed in the spiritual realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is phenomenal and amazing and just unsearchable. And I know I don't understand that and can't grasp it like I should. And I think about Ephesians 2, where it says we were dead in our sins. We basically brought nothing good to the table. But then God stepped in, and by his grace, he rescued us so that we can have a relationship with God. And that just is amazing, and I never, ever want to forget just how good God is in those things and to be captivated and enthralled and preoccupied by all of these things more and more. Uh, Honestly, I was reminded of the privilege of sharing the gospel of Christ this summer. My 
my 13-year-old twin nephews, uh, well, they were turning 13, and my brother-in-law, Grace's younger brother, brought together 17 men to kind of speak into the lives of these 13-year-old nephews uh, over a 24-hour period. Uh, my brother-in-law is a, an, uh, in the military or was in the military. He was a tank commander in Iraq and lost his leg in Iraq and uh, nearly lost his life. But he brought together 17 men uh, who basically would speak to my nephews uh, and share with them their lives. And these guys had amazing war stories. It was so fun to be hearing their stories. And they also had amazing stories of faith. These guys, um, hearing their testimonies of coming to Christ was just so encouraging. And one of the guys I got to know was um, a guy named Joe. Joe was a lieutenant under Daniel when they were in Iraq in 2004 and 2005. And um, Joe was actually the only non-family member to spend an extra night with the family. He was actually planning to go back to Ohio, but spent an extra night. And I look at that and say, that is God's plan and God's timing in his life. Because uh, we were at a neighbor's house, and Joe and I were walking back together uh, to Daniel and Wendy's. And um, I just was asking Joe about his story. Uh, I had heard some amazing war stories from Joe, but I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I've heard much about your, your, your journey with God. Tell me more about that. And he said, you know what? Nobody's ever asked me that before. And so he started to tell me about how mad he was coming back from Iraq and um, how basically God got his attention in some various ways and began to speak to him. And uh, as we were talking, I began to get the impression that I'm like, I don't know if, if Joe fully understands what Christ has done for him. And uh, we got home there, and I was able to explain the gospel to Joe. And uh, Joe, I said, Joe, have you ever put your trust in Christ? And he's like, I really don't think I have. And we prayed, and Joe invited Christ into his life that night. And Joe is this big, barrel-chested guy. And as soon as we got done praying, he stood up and just like put his arms out and I stood up and he gave me this huge hug. And I was just, it was a physical reminder to me of the privilege of even being able to pass on the gospel to somebody else to see Joe's life changed and transformed and um, Honestly, not everybody's going to be as prepared as Joe was to receive the gospel, but it's still a privilege wherever we are in the process in somebody's life to be used in that way. And honestly, on a side note, um, I'd love for you to pray for Joe. Um, it was a few weeks ago that I received a text from my sister-in-law saying, hey, could you pray for Joe? His wife left him and took their two kids. And so honestly, I'd love for you to pray for Joe, and I'd love to be able to tell Joe that other people are praying for him in his journey. And so again, all this, I say all this as a reminder to myself of how much it really is a privilege to share and deliver the message of Christ with others. And by way 
of application this next week, I'd like to encourage you in uh, your cave time or your time alone with God, I would love for you to take these prayer cards that are out there, if you don't have one already, uh, that refer to the last part of Ephesians 3. And uh, it's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians again, that they would understand the depth of Christ's love. And I would encourage you in your prayer time to pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to see the hope to which he has called us and the depth of Christ's love for us. So pray for yourself, pray for others around you. Um, And at the table with other believers that you know, share the majesty of the greatness of the beauty of who God is. Our uh, life group met on Thursday night and we just had, I think, a really fun time talking about the majesty and beauty of who Jesus is. And so at the table with other believers, share the majesticness of who Jesus is more and more. And then on the road, with your interactions with those that don't yet know Christ, look for opportunities to share your story, even this next week, and uh, see what happens. And in these ways, the mystery is delivered to others. In these last verses, which I'm really only going to touch on briefly, Paul relates the mystery's result. In verse 10, he picks up, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And what these verses tell us that ultimately through the church, through Jews and Gentiles being together as one body, somehow the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God is made known even in the heavenly realms. We were talking about this in our in our life group, and you might expect the wording to be that um, the manifold wisdom of God might be, is made known to all the nations. But somehow it's even broader than that. The manifold wisdom of God is even made known in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realms that is really a theme of Ephesians. And to be honest, I don't understand it uh, fully, the spiritual realms, but it is a theme that Paul brings out through Ephesians starting in chapter one and going all the way to the spiritual armor. In, in chapter 6. And so, even though I don't understand it, it's a big deal. The result is that God's wisdom is made known even in these heavenly realms. And then Paul ends this section with the encouragement not to lose heart. Uh, the things that he's suffering uh, for sharing the gospel are really for their glory. And I just, I love Paul's heart. Uh, Philippians 3 talks about that, Paul says that he counts all things as loss compared to knowing Christ, the surpassing value of knowing him. And then he goes on to say that he presses on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And 
Paul understands that everything is lost, and yet he continues to press on, and I think that's just an incredible encouragement for us to continue to press on, to know Jesus more and more, to count all things as loss. And uh, again, I think that when we realize these things a little bit more fully, and again, I'm speaking to myself, that we will see it as a privilege to pass on the gospel to get to others. And so at this point, I would like to invite the worship team to come up as I relate just one final thought to you. Um, I heard an illustration once, and I don't remember where I heard it, but an illustration of what heaven might be like, but the, and the concept re- rings true to me. Uh, it's kind of this idea that every day in heaven, if you can imagine getting a slightly bigger glimpse or capacity to understand the character of God, to be able to understand his kindness, his good, goodness, his, his love, his holiness, like every day in heaven, having our breath taken away a little bit more by the majesticness of who Jesus is. And I think, man, if that is true in heaven, I want that to be true today. I want that to be true in my life and in our lives that every single day we would have our breath taken away just a little bit more by the majesticness, the beauty, the wonder, the holiness of who God is. And I can't help but to think that when we are more and more captivated by the greatness of God and the majesticness of the message that we will more and more count it a privilege to be able to pass that on to others. And when we pass it on to others, we will have a deeper understanding of that message ourselves. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, you are amazing. Uh, You are so gracious. Your riches are unsearchable, unfathomable. They are boundless. And I ask by your grace that you would open the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, to understand more and more the hope that we have in you. Uh, Stir in our hearts this week, Lord, that you would be more majestic and uh, that you would use us to be your ministers in passing on your message to others. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.